Aloha Maui Nui. Hey, this is Josh Porter here. And Jason Burkhardt. How you doing, folks? Welcome to the Solar Coaster episode number... 31. 31. Wow. 31. We... <laughs> Just keep rolling along. Here we go. Here we go again. <laughs> um, so we have got a great show today. Uh, really exciting stuff going on globally, nationally, and then, you know, even there's, in... There's an awful lot of news. Space. We always have this conversation where we're not quite sure, well, can, can we really fill a show every week? And it's an hour, and you know what? There's a lot to talk about. Holy moly. Always a lot to Really talk interesting about. things going on. we got some uh, great people in the studio today. Jonah Heller's helping out with our social media. What's up, everybody? Uh, we got Gary over here doing engineering, and uh, Jibo is back in office, and we're asking him questions, and he is uh, jumping in occasionally with some facts. <laughs> and, more, uh, more random than anything else. <laughs> yeah. And then we, uh, we also have uh, some great uh, guests and call-ins today. So we're going to hear from Dave on the Roof uh, briefly, uh, Lonnie and Poku today. And we also have our product focus which is super cool, which is uh, Michael uh, Intieri. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, but from Sundrum, which is a company we're really excited about. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about them before. Uh, bumped him in, bumped into him at a trade show. Intersolar. Um, right? Intersolar way back in June, July. Whenever, July, Whenever yeah. that was, a long 17. time long time ago now. Uh, fantastic technology. Not sure why it's not being picked up more, yeah. but we're going to discuss it in depth uh, and, and let you know what the scoop is. Yeah, and many thanks to Michael for sending all those great case studies and cool projects and things of that nature. So we're going to get to dig in on that technology. Let's do some basic housekeeping right out of the gate here. Uh, this is the Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy theme talk show right here in lovely Maui County. It's beautiful out there today. Uh, coming in, oh, there was some traffic, but uh, uh, it, we are on it's perpetually the way it is. Yes. We always say we're going to get here a few minutes early and there's always traffic, <laughs> and if I say that. The, but the, I got it. West Maui is gorgeous today, right? Yep. And then um, we are here at Fridays at 1.05 p.m. on KOI 1110 AM. You can also find us on uh, some FM stations. That's 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM on the west side, 98.7 FM upcountry. Uh, you can listen in on the web anywhere in the world, streaming at KOI1110.com. Uh, call-ins are welcome. It's a talk, and sh- talk show, so do give us a call. 808-242-7800 is our call-in line. We are sponsored by an amazing, wonderful, great stable of companies. Yep. Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonen Battery, and just recently, Pika Energy joined the stable as well. Thank you so much to the our supporting companies. Yeah, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. Thank you again. <laughs> we are. Uh, you can also find us on podcast. Uh, the stations and platforms and such. Uh, iTunes and Stitcher are up and running and TuneIn and iHeartRadio are pending, I believe. Um, yeah, they're still looking at us. We're one, they're wondering if we're actually <laughs> legit or not. But uh, very, very shortly, the yeah. applications are in. Yeah. And of course, SolarCoaster.com is an archive of all of our shows. And uh, we try to get it up there within about 24 hours. Yeah, uh, that's that's the central repository. If you're ever uh, interested in listening to the show again, you missed something, uh, you want to go back and listen to an old show because we discussed a particular technology, uh, Solar-Coaster.com has all the old shows as well as other information. I got a text on the way in saying, hey, I can't listen to the show. I'll listen to it tonight. So, Jay, we actually got to get it up tonight. Okay, we'll do do that quick. (laughs) All right, so I think we need to jump right into news and events. We've got a lot to cover today, and there are some really radical things happening in this world. Yeah, we we tend not to be political. We we try not to anyway, but everything that's going on today is very political. Uh, So let's, let's talk about this. The SIA and the tariff... Conversation, yeah. Whether whether it's it's not CS specifically, it's it's um, to foreign owned um, but nationally United States present uh, companies have filed for some protection under an obscure tariff rule mm-hmm. that's on the books, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's under discussion. Uh, a lot of people have gone to bat on both sides. Uh, they're not quite coming to blows, but it's it's a pretty... There's some aggressive language out there. Aggressive right language, yes, For exactly sure. that. SIA, so there's a loads okay. of articles representing this. One of the good ones, one of the ones that we found that was helpful was um, PV Magazine, pv-magazine-usa.com. This is uh, just the other day on 12.6. Uh, uh, SIA pushes America first solar policy as industry descends on D.C. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Pretty dramatic language. Well, there's, there's been a march and everything else. But um, for, for the folks that don't know, SIA is the Solar Energy Industries Association. So this is solar energy companies' lobbyist group. Yeah. Right? So protect for the protection of 
solar energy jobs. <laughs> and and uh, Sia's CEO is Abigail Ross Hopper, who uh, has been interviewed on the coaster. We did yep. meet her and her team at SPI Vegas this Fantastic year. Fantastic lady, very very smart, person. very smart, very on point. <laughs> and I'm really kind of like you know in, in her corner, right? Excited about what she is uh, she's doing here. So she's quoted as saying, "Tariffs uh, basically tariffs would jeopardize our economy, mm-hmm. our national security, and our workers." Period. Yeah. Yeah. Hopper um, said. Eighty. 80- 8,000 downstream solar jobs would be affected by these tariffs and, and affected in a negative fashion is, right. is the message. Right. Um, tariffs are not the answer. Uh, they have presented some alternatives, which is which is fantastic. And that's great, too, because they're not just being critical. They're saying, here are some uh, solutions. And those solutions, to me, look seem very viable. They make a lot of sense. They're actually kind of clearly better, I, I think, right. at this stage of the game, right? right? We agree on and, that, yeah? Uh, so, yeah, there. Yeah. Um, I said um, she had a plan. Our plan is meant to help the president address the issues in this case, put America first. You see, they're kind of she's kind of borrowing, or Sia is kind of borrowing uh, Trump. Trumponian language, is that, <laughs> right? Is that a word? I don't know. I'm just going to say that. And say, yes, yeah, she says, and put America first and say right. yes to strong economic and manufacturing growth rather than throw a highly successful U.S. industry in reverse for no good reason. This plan will create more jobs and investment in America. So that sounds like some pretty compelling language right there. Um, do you want to read the bullet points here, Jay, or how do you want to do this? Because we, we got to distill this down, right? Uh, yeah, and we need to talk about what the, the plan is, is significant. The, the, I guess the conversation comes down to tariffs basically just charge for the importation of goods, right? And, and they're if, talking if it about shows up at the, If it shows up at the port, it's on the tariff list, you pay. Right. That's that's the gist of it, right? But that is, there's a huge process for that, and, and it actually takes a really long time for, for monies to come downstream. Right. Uh, even though those tariffs would be to, for the benefit of U.S., solar manufacturers mm-hmm. uh they, they they it just takes too long first of all we're talking like a that's, year that's before they a see year any before benefit, they ever see any right? benefit at all okay. so even um, if that were warranted it's not a particularly effective mechanism right right exactly okay um, but CS immediate recommendations are support military and national security by standing for stable and affordable energy prices now again the tariff would uh what increased module costs by how much? It was it looks it was, like it was about thirty percent. Seems to be the language that's thrown around. That's pretty significant. So that's that's a <clears throat> lot. And when you're talking about these folks, they're out there. They're building uh, commercial, um, industrial scale mm-hmm. um, energy manufacturing facilities. Space. A thirty percent increase in the base cost of modules moves their line. And what was that language we saw? We saw a quote that said there are right. there are huge. Right now, we're seeing ripple effects. Do you have that quote already? Listed? Already, um, not immediately in front of me, but what? I do remember exactly what you're talking about. It was the fact that there were a couple mega, hundred megawatt um, installs that are basically in limbo at this point, and the teetering project on teetering on collapse was the language. Was a language. Yeah, which of <clears> course <throat> is is a scare tactic. So, I would I would think, but. If if people, I mean, people can and will pull out because the cost is going to be thirty percent higher for for every single one of those modules that they want to roll out. And when you're talking right. hundred megawatt, that's an awful lot of modules. Uh, it it massively moves their bottom line. And so they're talking about maybe a seven year return on investment. Well, that just moved to ten to twelve to fifty. They've got better places to put their money. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Some of the other bullet points here are ensure U.S. energy dominance by listening to energy producers. Conserve conservative groups and American business large and small. Um, yeah. Which makes sense to me. I mean, even even the folks in the U.S. are not asking for tariffs, the majority of them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're looking for another mechanism to get some protection from dumping, which is essentially what we're well, talking about. And they about. have some solutions here which sound really viable. And, and then in, mm-hmm. and even, even um, other folks across the world. We talked to LG a couple of weeks ago. Um, the, they're not dumping these are these are high-end high quality products at a premium and a tariff would be just completely out of place so it's i think i think c is doing a good job of and we'll go through these bullet points but of reframing this issue it's not a matter of do you support american manufacturing or not it's not this polarizing issue we do support american manufacturing absolutely at great length and with with, you know with great strength in that but i mean we're talking here about uh mechanisms that'll actually work Rather right. than mechanisms that'll be potentially destructive to the oh, economy. It's essentially archaic at this point. I mean, so, the, yeah. the, the economy has changed, and tariffs are, are, are literally a couple hundred years 
<laughs> so they have a, a concept, like a licensing uh, concept. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, right? That's, Which is yeah. really, I think, very relevant. But some of these other points, she says, fight for American workers by allowing the booming solar market to continue growing strong and offering well-paying jobs to the 260,000 Americas Americans, including more than 23,000 military veterans. So she's really pulling out yeah, all they, the stops they, they, yeah, here. They, pulling on the heartstrings, <laughs> right? It's a good job. And then uh, don't bail out foreign firms. This is some aggressive There's language. There's more than a quarter of a million people, though, that are involved in just solar in the United States. Okay, So that's a huge, huge amount of jobs out there, and it's, it's all um, at risk. So yeah. that's, that's what this paragraph is really all about. Right. And she had two more bullet points of this. Th this is the language that they submitted effectively, right? Mm. Don't uh, America first plan from SIA. Don't bail out foreign firms. Don't bail out failed foreign firms. Look at that. No, this That's a stare, is, no, this huh? Is, no, this is, yeah, this is kind of painful. Um, I, I do understand what they're trying to say, that these um, companies, specifically um, SolarWorld and Suniva, are U U.S. wholly owned subsidiaries of foreign companies. Yeah. Well, it says, at the expense of American workers, uh, don't bail out failed foreign firms at the expense of American workers by helping millionaires in China and Germany mm -hmm. and investors in this, Qatar this, this and Europe. This is the inflammatory language right here. Exploit U.S. trade law. Yeah, that's yeah. a stinger right there, yeah. huh? Well, I mean, because of the, because this is, is such a, a little used clause in the trade laws um, that basically they're, they're thinking that these folks lost a bunch of money. They're looking to recover. And some of the thought is that they would take the check and run away with it. Right. Right. Which would be more damaging than anything, you know. <laughs> Unbelievable. The last uh, last statement or bullet point here is make America first, right? Yeah. And it says, SIA urged Trump to consider other options to tariffs if he concludes Seneva and SolarWorld need help, including instituting an import, an import license fee that will collect money from overseas manufacturers that can be used to subsidize U.S. companies and our economy. And this is very interesting. At first glance, I go, well, what's the difference? Yeah, exactly. It, it looks very similar to an, a regular tariff situation. But the import license is actually collected um, well beforehand. So t a tariff, basically, like I said, if you, you load a boat container ship full of panels and it shows up at port, it's inspected, it's on the tariff list, you then are issued an invoice. And it's held, the product is held sitting there in the port until you pay the tariff to get it off. The import license is handled at the beginning of the year. You say up to, we're going to import up to a gigawatt worth of panels. Okay, that's a lot of panels. But a gigawatt worth of panels and the license fee would be assessed at that time. So you, the, the company hasn't even, even produced these panels yet, and they're certainly right. not on a ship waiting to be disembarked and it's like it's like one percent was it one cent per watt or something one cent like? per watt it was it wasn't it was not a huge amount but they, they but what does that translate to but they estimated that in the next four years that would equate to 833 million dollars of revenue coming in and it would be like i said it would be collected early um, well before the panels show up within three months whereas within three months within three months no within three months U.S. companies could actually be receiving the benefit right. as opposed to more than a year in the tariff situation. Right. Amazing. Amazing. There was also a really powerful quote. These are inflammatory ones, I guess. That's the reason why they <laughs> you do, do like, it. Like, you do like that. Well, it's kind of the nature of how the, they those, do that. The language you said to me was, this guy is my hero. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I got it in the you, notes you, here. You, you it, was, uh, it was the next era. It was next yeah, era, wasn't it? Yes, right? it was. So this is uh, Michael O'Sullivan, who's a, a, a baller, senior vice president of development at Next Era Energy. And you may remember, uh, for folks here in Hawaii, Next Era, that was the company that was looking to acquire a a while back. Right. right? So they, they, that? They, they wanted to buy uh, Pico Mico. So this guy, this guy goes, it makes no sense to effectively tax tens of thousands of good paying U.S. jobs out of existence solely to benefit. Now, nah, this is him. The commercially unskilled Chinese and German owners of Suniva and SolarWorld who will cut and run. Yeah, exactly. That, that's that's the conversation that Oof. I was saying. There's a, there's a lot of fear <laughs> that even if they got the check, they would discontinue operations anyway and just bail. Man, that but guy's like part bouncer, God. part lawyer. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I mean, more more bouncer than lawyer. I think that's really scary. So there's a lot of contentious language out there these days, but there are some good, you know, everyone's concerned about this uh, tariff conversation because things are really booming in the industry. We don't want to see a reversal. Uh, SIA's doing a bang-up job. Uh, yeah, they're on the front lines there. I, I love, a, I love yeah. a lot of the, the, the stuff that they've come up. So, again, this, this um, import license fee um, would be assessed early and any importer who wanted to 
bring panels into the right. United States would, would just pay it and, and be done. Sounds like a great plan. I'm really glad that we're seeing some alternatives here, not just a yay or nay. Uh, and then if you want to learn more about that import licensing fee, uh, there's uh, Green Tech Media has a great article as of the 6th of December, U.S. Trade Panel Shows Interest in Solar Tariff Alternative. Mm -hmm. You can read there at length. Really, they did a great job of digesting that and uh, really giving us a kind of good overview, yeah? Yep. Okay, so um, we could talk forever about that stuff. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's going to affect everything that goes on here. They were, like I said, they were saying that that already, um, even though there are no tariffs, no, there's no decision in place, and there won't be until January 26th, 23rd, 26th, yeah, around that um, bef before we actually hear. And I think that's actually been pushed back, so it may be pushed back again. Yeah, but we need to, and there was also a small thing. We don't have an article on it, but there's some implication related to this new alternative minimum, minimum tax mm -hmm. uh, that could also impact the way tax credits are being applied when you actually pay your taxes. So we have we're kind of being a, like attacked on multiple fronts here within the industry. Uh, from from policymakers, really. Right, right. right? And, and uh, the tax <laughs> issue, I don't think, is specifically targeted at renewables. However, it's going to affect everybody uh, going forward because there is um, there's no time mm. to really assess. Okay, <laughs> what so, the damage is going to be. Well, we'll have to uh, take a look at that in a future episode. Very interesting stuff here. Things are looking up, I think, a little bit in this conversation. We do have a, a Hawaii focus. Let's just breeze through this. we got Dave waiting on the line for Dave on the Roof. Yep. Um, Civilbeat.org on, on the 12th here. Uh, was it the 12th? Uh, this, uh, it's an article that says Hawaii, uh, why Hawaii residents can't build their own private power grids. This is actually becoming a relevant point here in Hawaii that communities are saying, well, you know what, electricity is so expensive, solar and batteries is so effective and cost competitive that we should just do our own little microgrids, you know? So if you're if you're a developer out there making a seven or 10, 10 house uh, little cul-de-sac, then yeah. hey, let's do it. Let's do our own energy as well. We yep. already do our own water wells in some circumstances. Yeah, exactly that. So I, and I, we talked about this a long time ago is that we wouldn't it be cool if we could have these little shared, oh, yeah. um, kind of you get all the benefits of most of the benefits of having a little grid whereas if your personal system is down you're not necessarily out of right. luck right but, redundancies. Um, but you get some redund redundancies and sharing and and it, it makes sense so where did this news come from that it's actually illegal to do and well, i don't i don't, it, I, don't I, I basically i don't think it's true well the the the, <laughs> the kind of t title of the section is a really archaic law seems mm -hmm. like we're getting a lot of that these days right yeah, yeah. and uh basically they're saying hey you know if you um let's see here if you if you were to be sharing or or selling energy you could uh, effectively be uh, uh app you could be applicable you could be uh, um, re regulated by the same rules that a multi-billion dollar utility is currently regulated by that's the nature of the conversation right and of course the, this this is not um, off the radar of uh, for example Chris Lee or some or, or some of the people some of the policymakers we have here in Hawaii they've been trying to deal with this for years they've put together a couple of bills and according to them it's been shot down pretty aggressively by the utility. But, and Jim Alberts has said, oh, that's not really what we're doing. He's the uh, ECO Senior Vice President for Customer Service. So there's this kind of tit-for-tat going back and forth about yep. trying to change this law to allow uh, developers and communities to be able to share energy, right? right. But right. it hasn't quite happened yet. But there is something on the docket right now, I think, right? So that is very cool. Um, there's a lot to read in this great article. It's on Honolulu Civil Beat. They also talk about Big Island and the Parker Ranch uh, case study because it's one of the biggest um, uh, microgrids that's been proposed. And uh, so if you want to learn a little bit more about what's going on there, take a look at that uh, Honolulu Civil Beat article. It's really amazing, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, so let's jump over to Dave on the Roof. We got uh, our uh, our great segment here from Dave Eddings. Are you out there, Dave? Yes, sir. I'm here. How you doing, Jay? All right. Hey, hey. Uh, so are you, uh, what's going on out there? To, uh, to, uh, are you in uh, Lani and Poco? Is that right? Yeah, I'm in Lani and Poco. We got a 60-panel install uh, that we're working on out here. I'm um, trying to get the solar edge inverters installed right now. We got two uh, 7.6 kilowatt inverters going in, and uh, we got 60 panels going on the roof, uh, and it's going to be battery backup ready. Now, this is actually an interesting one, Dave. You know, because uh, I remember this conversation with the client had kind of gone from a consumer self-supply system where we were doing the solar edge and LG 10H battery banks, and it was pretty right. big, right? It was we were in the. Three, we were actually even bigger before when we were doing that. We had approval on that. 
the grid supply approvals came, uh, pre-approvals came through from the utility. We went back to a non-battery system. But in the middle of that conversation, the client was like, you know what? I want to make sure that I have the opportunity to go batteries in the future. So we made sure we used the um, the, the the battery ready inverters. Mm-hmm. And right. so it's it's. And then I know that there's a the inverters are on the outside of the house, right? But those ba- battery section, we uh, kind of spaced out enough space inside of the the garage to be able to incorporate all those 10 H's. So uh, that's correct. Yeah. Wow. So and is it uh is it is how's it looking out there are you seeing some success in that layout oh yeah oh yeah it's looking uh it's it's uh, looking good you know we got the standing seam uh roof out there which is which is great for uh for installing the uh the snapping rack yeah oh gotcha so, gotcha you know what i mean because it's already yeah so that that's going well um as far as the panel placement uh we're working on that right now but uh it's going well as as, as well and we're just about done with that Wonderful. Now, what they're doing yeah. out there, what Dave's probably doing, is they're using it's a standing seam roof. Mm-hmm. So they're um, actually you don't have to penetrate a roof with standing seam. You're able to actually right. use a kind of a crimping mechanism, and it it basically grips the the higher raised standing seam section, just like in your dad's house, Jim. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And uh, right. so that is called an S5 clamp. And uh, so I guess you're probably getting ready to to uh, ratchet down all those S5s and and, and work the layout, huh? That's exactly right, and the layout's so much easier because everything runs parallel and perpendicular on that same roof, right? Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, so that's definitely a, definitely a huge help. <laughs> well, we can't wait to see pictures of that, uh, and we'll look forward to take to seeing a couple shots of you. And I hear Tony's out there with you as well, so maybe you can grab a couple you got shots. It, and send and I got it, and I got Tony's shirt. I'm going to make him put it on for the pictures. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> all right, send those over. Appreciate it, Dave. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Dave. We appreciate it. You guys have a great day. All right. You got it, man. Take care, buddy. Okay, bye now. Well, that's very cool. Uh, So non-penetrating roof mount. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. How how common is that? I mean, because I don't well, like punching holes in my roof. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's kind of a nice advantage of the S five clamps. Okay. You know the um uh, some of the times, especially people that have we have a lot of metal corrugated roofs out here mm-hmm. right, for some for some homes that have been you know around for a while and uh, uh, pre solar. So when someone's thinking about going solar, they, then they go, yeah, it's time for me to replace my roof. They oftentimes switch to a standing seam, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's a great decision because you're basically penetrationless in right. a sense outside yeah. of maybe one or two things related to the conduit runs you know so okay. it's something a really to, nice to way to think about absolutely definitely, definitely. Nice. standing seems a beautiful roof excellent type. all right so we're going to uh take a break we'll uh, hear from our sponsors and then we'll be right back with uh michael from sundrum aloha and welcome to maui solar project it is easy to feel rejuvenated just stepping outside on a magnificent hawaiian day maui solar project is here to help harness that energy you feel in your body and use it to power your homes and businesses as Laura tells us maui harnessed the sun so as to slow its path across the sky join maui solar project as we harness the sun's energy and slow hawaii's dependence on fossil fuels call maui solar project at 269-2352 mauisolarproject.org Tabuchi Electric, a leading worldwide inverter manufacturer, presents the second generation of the eco-intelligent battery system, the IBIS. Tabuchi's grid-friendly system includes a high-efficiency inverter, stackable batteries, and integration with Jelly software for the most adaptable battery storage system on the market. The system is optimized for energy management and cost performance. Maximize your solar investment with Tabuchi's electric eco-intelligent battery system. The Sonin Battery Eco is an energy storage solution that utilizes intelligent energy management software. The system is available in a variety of storage capacities and allows for expansion. Sonin Battery Eco allows you to save money by harvesting energy from your solar PV system and using that stored energy when rates are more expensive. Sonin Battery Eco is specifically designed to provide you and your family peace of mind in the event of power outage. Our unique power detection system will sense outages in real time and automatically switch over to battery power. See Sonin Battery Eco at sonin-battery.com. MIT-founded Pika Energy, makers of the Pika Energy Island, a smart energy management system that uses solar panels, lithium batteries, and intelligence to manage your energy and keep you powered even during outages. With a clean, intelligent alternative to grid power, you're in control of your energy future. Pika's Energy Island lets you manage electrical costs with HECO-ready self-supply functions. Pika's largest battery, the Harbor Plus, offers 16 kilowatt hours of stored energy and can power loads of up to 10 kilowatts. And if you need more capacity, just add a second or even third Harbor Smart battery to the same system for a maximum of 48 kilowatt hours of usable storage. Pika Energy, own your power. To learn more, visit pika-energy.com. 
Okay, wow, that was a great, uh, great commercial run what a, there. What a, what a cool string. I mean, these these are companies that we have we met all these people, and we actually know who they are, and uh, to be able to, to help them out, well, they help us out, and I think it works really well Absolutely. for the industry and for us. Okay, so I'm going to take another <laughs> shot at Michael's name, Michael Intrieri, and Michael, I have to ask you to uh, correct me on that pronunciation when you get online, but have we got you on the line there, Michael? Yes, sir. Excellent. How you doing, sir? Thanks so much for joining the Solar Coaster. My pleasure. So uh, uh, Michael's a really remarkable uh, fella. He's the CEO of uh, Sundrum Solar, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a it's a it's a technology that you and I kind of kind of captivated our interest uh, uh, back in at the Inner Solar in San Francisco uh, earlier in July. Yep. Yeah, we were there. Um, again, we was, he was like shelved way in the back of the show, and it was like this little undiscovered corner of. Oh my God, <laughs> a gem, a gem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we were, uh, we're, we're uh, definitely seeing opportunities out here, Michael, for this technology. It's coming up in various project areas, and we just thought it'd be a great idea to have you come on and kind of give us a sense for, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of your background with the company, yourself, how you came up with this, and then uh, the technology itself. So could you give us a little introduction to kind of get started? Sure. So. Um I probably got involved with solar thermal back from the 70s with my dad when I was a teenager. Uh, we basically put homemade solar thermal up on the roof, which was uh, would be called a glazed panel. Um, that did, that system actually remained on the family roof for a long time, but there was something called an embargo that ended, and then you could buy oil for 10 cents a gallon. So I went off into the semiconductor industry. Okay. And in the semiconductor industry... I uh, always I was responsible for maintaining that solar thermal uh, system on the family home, uh, but I got involved in semiconductors. Gotcha. So I obviously got involved, uh, was interested in PV, but my career was uh, working on CPUs, the central processing units, and I would always have to put a heat sink on them. Mm-hmm. And I was always concerned or debated, you know, why is PV and solar thermal at odds with each other? You know, they're, they're actually very complimentary. And I was up on a roof of um, really UMass Lowell. Uh, they have a Masters of Energy program. I was taking some courses up there. I was up on the roof with uh, some of the latest PV panels. This was probably in the late 2000s. I think it was 2005 or 2006. And it was a nice 32-degree uh, uh, winter day in New England. Uh, and the panels were up around 80, 90 degrees. And I, I recognized that the anti-reflective coating that people had uh, applied to the PV panels back in that time zone had dramatically improved their efficiency. And when they improved it, um, they, what happened when they added the anti-reflective coatings and the high-efficient anti-reflective coatings, they, they converted the PV panel to a 90% efficient solar collector. And basically at the time, only 15% would come out as electricity and 75% would come out as heat. Um, in my career in semiconductors, I was always putting heat sinks on the back of CPUs to cool them down to get better performance. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took the mission of, you know, let me create a highly efficient heat exchanger to put on the back of the PV panel, cool it down, get better electrical performance, but also gather a tremendous amount of thermal energy. Yep. Um, and, uh, what, probably 2006, 2007, I played in the garage uh, working on developing that heat exchanger. Um, 2007, first system actually went up, went on my own home, basically to prove that at 15 cents a kilowatt hour, I could provide better than a five-year payback on a system because I've always had a great sense of making sure something was commercially viable. Part of my career in semiconductors was doing that. Right. Um, attained that point and then took the plunge in um, entrepreneurship and, and started Sundrum Solar. Um, we basically attained the world record of, uh, for efficiency at 86%. We set that in 2013. And that was 86% consumed by the home. We converted 91% on the roof. Uh, And then we had losses, both thermal and electric, coming down before actual uh, consumption by the house. Um, That world record stands today. Uh, And we thought that would make it, right? You know, one of the problems with solar thermal, more so than PV, is you have to attain a 
certain tipping point of temperature to be useful energy. Mm-hmm. And that number is typically around 110 or 120 Fahrenheit. Okay. And if you're not hotter than that, you're really not that useful. Right. Um, and about that time fracking was coming in, natural gas was going down in price, and we were struggling with solar thermal being competitive. And we had been supporting uh, geothermal systems for a long time, and an, an aha moment came. And I can remember PV because you know I've been watching PV since the 70s, when PV really didn't have inverters, and, pe- and people were talking about DC homes. And I remember when the inverter came in place, which can basically take 35 volts DC and make it 120 volts AC. Well, the aha moment came and said, well, you know, thermally we can do that too. It's actually older technology and more simpler technology than the electrical inverters. It's called a heat pump. Mm -hmm. And we could take 35 degrees Fahrenheit energy with a little bit of electricity, convert that to 120 degrees Fahrenheit energy. And basically by doing that, you know, we have a, a unique collector that we created that it's able not only to, uh, it's, it's a great, heat exchanger you know it's a high high efficiency heat exchanger off a flat surface that's how it was designed to improve the pv panel performance Mm. that it's just as efficient at uh use in the pv panel uh to gather energy from the environment so where we had the problem previously of only being able to collect energy or deliver energy to home maybe four hours a day when we connected our thermal inverter to it, all of a sudden we could convert energy 16 hours a day. So it basically allowed us um, to quadruple the amount of energy that we can deliver. I like looking at it, you know, if you put an investment on your roof, do you really only want it to work four hours a day? That takes a lot longer to pay back. You put one up where it can work 16 hours a day, then it pays back four times as fast. And we called that technology harvest and our Harvest HP. And we, uh, what well, we prototyped in, uh, the first prototypes went up in 2013-2014. Uh, we basically did our betas and debugging that time. Uh, we started selling in 2015, and ever since then, we've been real busy. Um, the Association, <coughs> Association of Energy Engineers, <coughs> excuse me, uh, just awarded one of our systems with the 2017 Innovation Award. And this was a home in Washington, D.C., where we did over 80% of its space heating, and solar thermal for space heating was typically unheard of. Mm -hmm. Because thermal heating, you basically need it when there's no sun, when the sun's down the coldest nights of the year. Um, so we did 80%, over 80% of their space heating. We did 100% of their pool heating. And a unique aspect of this technology is we did 100% of its air conditioning. Because what you can do with the heat, what we basically have with this array that we have on the roof and this highly efficient heat exchanger is we have a way to send the thermal energy up to that solar array on the roof. And... Air conditioning is really the rejection of thermal energy. Mm-hmm. And when we reject it, we have this large array that's basically facing outer space. You can, call it, you can basically call it an antenna to outer space. <laughs> and we radiate a good portion of that thermal energy to space, so it leaves the planet. Um, and we find that because we have this highly, highly efficient uh, heat exchanger, it, it works both ways. It can both collect the energy and it can dissipate the energy. And the thing that we like is when we dissipate it, we dissipate it to space, so we cool the planet, where the other air conditioning solutions actually heat the planet. So we're, we're really excited. Uh, in terms of thermally, uh, we've become an on-demand solar engine. Uh, and then the stuff that we're doing around air conditioning just excites me, as you can kind of tell from my voice in terms of what we do. Um, probably our first system we did out in Hawaii was back in, I think it was 2011, 2012. Okay, okay. so you are in the state. Um, yeah. And uh, been looking forward to get back into that market when the time was right. Mm-hmm. Did I see that that was uh, uh, out in, was that a DOD project or was that a, 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 more, a commercial project? So they were both private. Uh, one's on Schofield uh, Army Base. It's on the Schofield Inn, so it's a private room. You know, 
uh, semi-private. Yep. Uh, and uh, there are two private installs, uh, residential. Um, all everything's on Oahu. Nothing's on Maui. Okay. Gotcha. So it's, I mean, a lot, well, that's a lot. Thank you so much for that great explanation. There's definitely a lot of information there. But so like for when we think about this from the perspective of, I guess you have residential applications and you have uh, commercial applications as well, right? Yeah, right now about 75% of our uh, clientele is commercial and 25% is residential. And as, and as I understand it, kind of in a layman's explanation, you've got PV, you got photovoltaic. We have out here, uh, we have solar thermal as almost the default because it's a building, it's a requirement, it's for, a requirement new for new construction. Yeah. So we have a solar hot water or domestic hot water or solar thermal, whatever you want to call it. And then we have PV. And this, this technology effectively integrates those two technologies, right? So this could replace domestic hot water panels. Is that correct, uh, Michael? In, in so one use case. So here's a caution that I'd have. <laughs> Um, what I typically tell our sales force is they're looking for a client that's spending greater than $3,000 a year on their hot water bill. Okay. Your typical residential uh, on the islands, um, you know, a single four, four by eight glazed panel directly connected to their hot water heater does a fantastic job. It's inexpensive. It's, it's, it's a lot cheaper than what we can provide. Um, so your, uh, what I would call your small residential solution, we do not replace traditional solar thermal on that solution. Gotcha, gotcha. When you get into the um, larger volume users, like multi-tenant housing or dorms or fitness centers or pools, then we have a superior solution because we're able to work four times longer than the, you know, your, your beauty, it's a, I, I, I've been on the islands. Uh, you have a beautiful, beautiful place to live. Right, right, yeah, uh, definitely. Your water, your water temperature usually comes in in the 70s, and you just need to heat it to 110, 120. Uh, so you, uh, your residential, you don't have a huge thermal load. So for resident, uh, just to, to just to, to jump off of that, so, for, so generally speaking, what I just heard was that it, it starts to create a compelling business case at around $3,000 per year. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. In, yeah. in hot water uh, electrical spend, right? And um, so if you were to be heating a pool, what about a residential plus pool thermal, for example? Or, or when does it... Does it uh, this, uh, what I tell them is 3000 combined. I don't care if that's air conditioning, pool heating, uh, space heating, hot water heating. It's it's a three thousand dollar thermal load. Interesting. You can address all four. So if you're spending three hundred, three hundred, just under three hundred bucks a month, basically, mm -hmm. on pool, domestic DHW, and maybe air conditioning, which is actually possible. Like I see that yeah, kind that, of thing that's, not that's, too. Yeah, that's the air conditioning is what's going to kick it over the top for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. So if you're spending that kind of money, then you're saying this could be a a, a, a solution that could create a more compelling value proposition than those than yeah, those technologies together. When, when you're over that, you're typically looking at less than a seven-year payback. Right, and then in the case of commercial or or like you said, small maybe small. Uh, pods of you know multiple tenant housing that's probably almost definitely going to be the scenario and it, it only gets better right. right okay okay nice the larger right. the load it only gets better it re really what we're talking about. in on the islands this is a solar boiler it can work 24 hours a day interesting it, it does you know from I, I i tend to think in residential there's a lot going on in the commercial space with this but i mean i tend to think in residential and right now my mind goes okay we have pv we have domestic hot water and we have pool thermal and these are three separate technologies right mm -hmm. that that can work together and if you could even say we have uh photovoltaic powered air conditioning right as per the lizettis yep. and the yep. and the solaires and all those uh but now we're looking at a technology that could conceivably address all of those needs in effectively one array and increase efficiency considerably because that takes a lot of roof space right to do those things yeah that's one of the things that i find really attractive is that this mounts underneath an existing photovoltaic or a new photovoltaic install increases the efficiency of that panel and without taking any additional roof space you get all these other benefits right right so uh, okay um well you know when um what I'm trying to understand here is why hasn't this taken over the world? <laughs> Michael, what's going on, buddy? So um, the so what I like to define tipping points, right? Mm -hmm. And right now our tipping point is 85 cents a therm. 85 so cents in the a areas therm. of the U.S. where they're spending more than 85 cents a therm on their thermal energy. Mm-hmm in the U.S. right now is only California and the Southeast. Mm -hmm. 
and that some of the southeast southeast is starting to move above the point, uh, we have a good market. You know, we're rapidly growing. We have a good market. Um, we're continuing to try to, and residentially, it's a dollar ten. So the mm-hmm. eighty-five cents is a commercial number, and dollar ten is the residential number. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're moving there. We're, we're moving to be a broad uh, application. We're continuing to work to drive our costs down. Uh, I like to see that natural gas is slowly increasing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm kind of happy with our growth. You know, uh, every year we're growing. Uh, so just give it time. We'll get there. Gotcha. Excellent. Excellent. Gotcha. <laughs> well, we definitely love to do the first install in Maui. Josh is talking about uh, some projects, <laughs> but, but if there's something here, we definitely want to take. Definitely want to check it out. Um, you know, when we were doing the installs in 2011, 2012, one of the comments we'd commonly hear is, "Okay, your new technology." A lot of people come over here with new technology, and um, they kind of fizzle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the nice thing is, is our first install was 2017. Those installs we did in 2011, 2012 are still up and running. Um, it's now almost, it's the end of 2017. We have over 10 years of history now. Uh, we are what I would call a, a mature mature technology Yeah. Uh, where we can give people confidence. And then as a company, we've been around 10 years. We're not going anywhere. Right, right. Uh, and all those things help also. Let me ask you this, Michael. Um, do you find that you're able to take advantage of tax credits in a comparable way to solar hot water systems that are being deployed regularly throughout, like Hawaii, for example? Because there are there are state yeah. and federal uh, we're fully systems. OG 100 and 300 uh, certified. Gotcha. Nice. Gotcha. We both have, we have our OG 100 certification. We have our OG 300 certification, and we have our UL certification. So you're, you're really rocking and rolling. You're out there. You're bringing this product to market. You did mention, uh, I heard that you were doing some really big projects recently. Are you, are you able to speak about that at all? Uh, there's a large three megawatt project that we're working on. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's really, typically our systems are, I'm going to start using tons as a number. You know, we're typically six tons or less in most of our systems. Uh, we're now talking about systems that are, we're currently installing um, uh, systems that are in the uh, 15 and 30 ton range. Uh, we're basically doing a 3 megawatt um, campus uh, in um, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, the And then there's other applications that can take us even farther uh, where we're talking about uh, 50 ton commercial systems where we're taking advantage of all the attributes and you know when I look at that in terms of a the financial savings that the client can get but also the co2 savings avoidance that we also provide and, and it just excites me that you know we, we radiate thermal energy off the planet so you know we're not we're we're actually rejecting heat off the planet to help cool the planet not many technologies can say that they can do that. So mm-hmm. if I can provide financial gains um, to the client, I can provide CO2 gains to the client, and then I can also help cool the planet at the same time, I, I'm real excited about where we're taking this technology. Yeah, you must sleep really well at night. <laughs> I do. I do. That's excellent. Okay. Um, I know Josh is kind of, he, he always gives me the look. Um, the, the question that keeps coming up, and I've tried to explain it to him like three times, maybe you can do this better than I can, but how do you get air conditioning out of heat? And I, I know I know the answer, but, but I'm <laughs> terrible at explaining it. <laughs> air conditioning is really the rejection of heat. Right. Uh, so ask, are you asking me how do we get... It, you know, I've, I've, I've gone over, the, like I said, I've gone over the heat pump discussion a, a number of times. He's asked other people. It's just, it just doesn't, it doesn't quite sink <laughs> so, in. So let, let's, let's, let's do you have, do you have a line? Is what I'm asking. Pump, <laughs> the heat pump's really just an inverter. Right. Uh, all it does is allow you to convert energy in whatever direction you want, or really convert temperature in whatever direction you want. Mm-hmm. Um, what a typical air conditioner does is takes the heat out of the house you know, through a Carnot cycle. Yep. And it, re- it takes that heat and it throws it outside, but all of the mechanical energy that it used to do that, that created heat, it throws that outside too. Yep. Which so, is the reason why when you, know, you stand in front of the compressor, it's it's hot air coming it's hot. off the side. Yeah. It's hot. Yep. You know, 
that's that's that um, heat energy escaping into the atmosphere. <laughs> what, and, and really, what that is is it's air blowing over a radiator. Correct. Um, okay. To reject that heat to the outside. Uh, what we do is we have a large surface array facing outer space, and there's something called a black body effect or a black box effect or spatial radiation. See this, you know, at night that things cool down or when large surfaces are facing space they are a lot cooler than they are cooler than the outside environment we we get about 15 degrees the the surface of the pv array gets about 15 degrees colder than the um, outside temperature you kind of see that in the morning because 15 degrees the morning, less than ambient they'll be, due, they'll be due on it or condensation on it hmm. until the sun comes up mm-hmm. um that Instead of a radiator just blowing air to the environment, we become a, a radiator to space. Is, is that what you were asking? Yeah, kind of. Um, it's 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 taking that step. Basically, it's an air conditioner, but or, or the heater. Imagine if you're bringing heat into the house. It's just flip that around. It's it's running in reverse. Mm-hmm. So and instead of instead of pulling that thermal energy off the panels to be used in the house or in the pool for heating, mm-hmm. it would be radiating through the panels. Wouldn't that um, give you a little degradation in performance as, as electrically and PV, in terms of the PV. PV wise we do it at night you do it at night no so there you go so it doesn't really matter <laughs> we only do it at night during, during the day when we air condition we basically need a uh, battery mm-hmm. thermal battery um, so the most typical is we heat your pool sure so we take your heat out of your house and we stick it in the pool uh, during the day so you're kind of getting two birds Ooh. You're getting two benefits for one unit of energy. And then at night, if we heated the pool up a little bit too much, and, the, and pools are fantastic batteries. Mm. Well, it takes, we a, it takes a lot of energy. People don't understand much. how much energy it takes to heat up a volume of water. What, what, a, line, what a line that is. Pools are fantastic batteries. Yes, like that. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> Excellent. Sorry. So uh, the uh, um, that, that was the system that won the award. It's uh, basically during the day we put the thermal energy in the pool, pool down the house, heat the pool. If the pool was a couple degrees higher, then, you know, we kept the tight band of uh, like four degrees on the pool. Mm-hmm. At night, we would take the energy out of the pool and throw it into space to cool the pool down for us to have a cycle the next day. Nice. Gotcha. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it's basically just smart manipulation of energy. I mean, you're, you're moving it, moving it, moving it, moving yeah. it from place to place. When but you this, want give, it. but this gives you what the sun drum gives you is this massive, efficient array to move either import or export your, so, your, your and, heat energy. And, and, and the general thing to remember is we are hybrid. Electricity's in there too. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, in terms of as an engineer or as a consumer, you have a way to move whatever energies you need in whatever direction at the highest efficiency without having to do too much conversion. Gotcha. Um, and your, your conversation is that all we're doing is moving around energy. That's what our jobs become. This um, really, really remarkable conversation. I do have two, two kind of just core questions here. One is related to operating and maintenance and warranties. So if we're talking, one of the, yeah, well. sorry, Jay, I didn't mean to push <laughs> no, that fine. from you. But I just want to get a sense because you know we're talking about you know perhaps systems that have a sub five year uh, payback period, mm-hmm. which is uh, you know that's a general general mark of, of 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 attractivity with these things. But then of course you want to think about that longevity. So do you have a sense? Um, uh, uh, Michael, in terms of uh, what the lifespan of these systems is, does it affect the lifespan of PV in any way? Are warranties in PV at all uh, compromised or related to this, or are there some parameters related to this? Um, you know, can you give us a little bit of guidance on that, please? So the uh, all of our systems that we put up are designed to last at least 25 years. Um, we do accelerative testing in our shop, and our and we stop at 50 years. Um, the, so we're designed to last a long time. Um, our design is based upon improving the PV performance. That was the basis of design. I, I came out of the semiconductor world. I'm still a semiconductor engineer. Instead of working on one that's a centimeter square that's a CPU chip, I'm working on one that's over a meter square now. That happens to be yep. a diode. Yep. Um, we cool the panel. So the the and we structurally support the panel. So the reliability mechanisms that degrade the PV panel performance 
we slow down. So we actually extend the life of that panel. In theory, I, I don't theory. have a pair, I, I don't have hard, fast third-party test data, but all the theory in terms of what affects the PV panel, we slow down those mechanisms to extend it. Yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. So, so Michael, this um, oh, sorry, uh, Michael, this is a, um, a retrofitable, a good retrofit project pr product, right? Yeah, I about ten percent so, of our sales are retros. Right, so you got about ten percent retro. So. Um, this works with uh, pretty much any standard 60-cell uh, systems, work with 72 cells as well? Uh, uh, 60 or 72, and we have uh, some of the PV manufacturers have given, um, uh, basically shared that we don't impact the warranty at all. That's great. Um, so in terms of the PV panel manufacturers are recognizing the benefits that we can provide also. Have you considered integrating with a module on a, like, a, we sell this product as one all-in? Uh, it almost seems like something a you'd want. partnership kind of I mean, you'd want on every PV thing, panel yeah. in a sense, right? It, I, that, that comes up quite a bit. But in all honesty, one of the reasons why we're still in business is we haven't gotten into the commodity world of the PV panel and it's mm -hmm. ever-dropping price versus it's mm -hmm. um, the capital investment that it would cost. Uh being agnostic to the PV panel has been a significant advantage to us. You know, you can pick what PV panel you want. Yeah, as um, as, as the a, saying goes, you don't want to hitch your wagon to one particular train. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it, right now it's been a strength that we're not uh, that uh, we support multiple PV panel manufacturers. It, it's been a strength for the company. Yep. This has really been very interesting uh, content, Michael. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank you for your uh, time today. Um, I, I just, I do kind of want to wrap and, and, and say that there is a, uh, what I see here, you know, is a, a system that uh, really could potentially answer a lot of the, the issues we have out here in, in, in Hawaii. And we're at a place right now where our rooftops are uh, smaller than our, our electrical it's, generation it's a premium needs, space. right? Yeah. So this uh, amplifies the electrical generation in a sense, uh, the energy generation, I should say. Mm -hmm. And um, you have uh, potential uh, energy, uh, you have potential air conditioning, you have potential pool heating, you have uh, electrical uh, energy for your for your home for use, optimizing that electrical energy, and then potentially uh, it, we just talked about um, furthering or extending the lifespan of PV. These are really remarkable uh, characteristics, right? Yeah. And then yeah. of course out here, the big conversation point is uh, electrical storage of energy because we have these programs with the utility, uh, such as uh, consumer self supply and our NEM expansion. There's there's the battery discussions going on with that as well. And for smart export, the new program that was proposed or, or uh, put out by the Public Utilities Commission. So you have all these opportunities here. So it seems to me, are you doing anything with electrical storage as well, Michael? Just briefly, we only got about a minute, but I'm just curious. I'm, I'm, it's kind of normal. Where, where electricity <laughs> is used to generate thermal, yes. So for example, uh, air conditioning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's really electricity used to generate thermal energy. Yeah. Um, so in that space, absolutely, um, uh, we are. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't think of anything better. High storage or just operating at much higher efficiencies. Uh, yes, we are. Wow. Ice ice storage. That's one of the research. We're going to talk about that later. Off, off, offline. That's the after show. <laughs> Michael, that was really a wonderful explanation. Thank you so much. We uh, we need to wrap, but I, I definitely want to invite you on again one of these days to dig deep, uh, maybe in a couple of these uh, case studies. <laughs> yeah, that shows. wasn't deep enough for right. you. Wow. We, we can go down the rabbit hole for sure. <laughs> Thank you so um, much. I really, really do appreciate, appreciate your time, though, sir. Thank you. Y'all have a great day. All, All right. right. Take Excellent. care. Excellent. Well, we didn't even get to future focus this day Oof. because it, I mean, Sundrum itself is a future focus all on its own, isn't it? Except it's it's here now. It's, it's here not right the now. future. That was yeah, that's some remarkable. In fact, it was here in 2011. <laughs> uh. Exciting stuff here. Hey, we are the Solar Coaster, uh, sponsored by Maui Solar Project, Sonin Battery, uh, uh, Tabuchi Electric America, and Pika Energy. Uh, we just had a great show today. Very interesting uh, content. We knew uh, we would have too much, but thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, check out the website again, solar-coaster.com, and tune in again next week. Have a great, uh, a great weekend, folks. Aloha Friday.